Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means taking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your own reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, it's Rob Moore here and welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. Now, I was interviewed by Dr. Heather Walker, who's host of the Lead with Levity podcast, and she interviewed me on disrupting workplace culture. Now, it's an episode I've kind of always wanted to do myself, but because she interviewed me on it, we thought that we had some really good content that you will probably love. So if you want to build a team, you want to create a disruptive environment, an innovative culture, you want to lead, you want people to really fight for you and buy into your vision, then I think you'll enjoy this podcast. I also want to let you know that coming soon, we've got some really, really interesting guests coming up. We're very excited about that. So I just thought I'd tease you on that. Anyway, welcome to the interview with Dr. Heather Walker interviewing me on her podcast, Lead with Levity on Disrupting Workplace Culture. Hi, it's Rob Moore here, and this is possibly my fifth podcast in two days. Uh, and I am very privileged to be having um, Heather Walker interview me from the Lead with Levity podcast. We're going to be talking about uh, disrupting workplace culture, which I think in many places probably does need disrupting. And in the UK right now, we've had a big thing where Thomas Cook have just gone bust and there's been many staff um, that uh, have no job. Uh, in fact, I put a post on my profile. Uh, I just said, look, if anyone in Peterborough, Thomas Cook is struggling for employment. I'm hiring. Um, 133 people shared that. I feel sorry for my head of HR, who's probably had um, maybe even hundreds of CVs sent in. Um, but, you know, maybe some companies can step up their game when it comes to workplace culture, whether you're an entrepreneur building a culture and hiring or whether you are in the workplace because you're an employee. Um, I think that um, it's a great subject. Um, Heather, I'm going to hand over to you now. This is your show. I'm your humble servant. Um, take it away and thank you. Thank you, Rob. I really do appreciate that. And those of you who are listening to my podcast, this is Dr. Heather Walker uh, with the Lead with Levity podcast. And today we have Rob Moore. Uh, Rob, thank you so much for collaborating with me. And those of you who are not familiar with Rob, he is known for being disruptive. He's held three world records for public speaking. He's authored nine books, including a global bestseller, Life Leverage. And Rob even founded and co-owns the UK's largest and most disruptive property education business. And he manages over 750 properties with his partner. I can only imagine. Rob, you know, I have a question for you. So we're going to we're going to get into my questions. But I, I do have a question for you. I, I have rental properties myself, okay. um, a couple of single families, a duplex, a four family. And I am just curious. There's a lot of property education out there. What is it about yours that makes it disruptive? Um, I know this shouldn't be the case, Heather, but there's a lot of people who maybe don't have a huge amount of experience, but certainly in the UK, set up a training business because it's, there's no regulation. 
and they see it as easy money. Whereas Mark and I have bought hundreds of single lets. We've bought many multi-lets, big commercial conversion projects. We're developing a, an 850, uh, an 85,000 square foot, 100 unit conversion at the moment, as well as one on the other side of the road that's maybe 35,000 square foot. So the first thing is we're, we're kind of doing it at a fairly big level. Um, the second thing is we've built a community. So we don't just see property investing as two chaps who know it all, who made themselves into gurus. Mm. But instead, we've built a community of people who are young and old from all walks of life in many countries around the world. Uh, we give a lot of information for free to get people started. Um, and we use all the media channels, podcasts, YouTube. We have big Facebook group in the UK, of course, um, email database. Um, and so I think community, I think the fact that we, we did it from a young age, I think um, I didn't have any of my own money. So I did joint ventures and raised finance in a, a very creative way, doing um, partnerships with my business partner, um, loans secured on properties that we paid back um, that went up in value. So we were able to recycle cash that wasn't ours. So I don't know if that answers your question. I kind of, I, I know people probably perceive it's quite easy for me to blow my own trumpet, but I find that quite hard. Uh, mm. I mean, I was an artist and I like being creative and I like um, getting in the face of the conventional and I like shaking up the boring and the normal. And I suppose 10, 12 years ago, everyone in England was doing single lets and we, we didn't design, but we disrupted with things like um, packaging and selling deals and doing what's called rent to rent in the UK. So we've been very forthright and forward and often first in the more innovative option instalment rent to rent type investing strategies where you don't necessarily need deposits or have to buy property. I see. I see. It, it sounds very similar to some strategies that we use here in the US and mm. Uh, what you've been doing in terms of being disruptive is is that community building, making sure that you're not going it alone. Yes, you've got a podcast. Yes, you're doing education, but you've developed a group of people around you to help you um, and, and you're helping them as well uh, to be successful. Yeah, for me, the great thing about community is I like people. So that's a tick for me. I think that the power in the many is way greater than the power of the one. Uh, I'm a big believer that there are people out there smarter than you and different than you who can you can have in your team that you can leverage and they can leverage you. I think success is always sweeter shared with someone else. And I think when you're lonely and struggling, it's always easier when there's people around you. So some people don't really like building communities. Maybe they're introverts, they're loners, or they're, they're just a bit sort of self-focused. For me, I think most of the success in my business has been because of collaborations and partnerships. This podcast is a collaboration between ourselves. And right. I really believe in, in growth through communities and collaborations. So I think that plays in very nicely into our topic today about company culture. What do you feel are some of the top challenges that the entrepreneurs that you've been working with have in creating a solid culture as they scale their businesses. So going from, yes, I, I'm, not, I'm not poor anymore. I'm actually, I have rental property. I have investments. I'm actually building a team. Now my team is scaling. 
but I have all of these people and it's more than just me and my crew. I, I have, I have levels. So what do you feel are the top challenges for those individuals? Right. So there's quite a few here, Heather. Um, so I, I hope for people are going to take notes on this. I think the first thing we found that the difference between a manager and a leader is huge. So when you're an entrepreneur, you are a leader, a visionary, uh, and your vision is just selfish when you start because there's just you. And then when, right. you, have, when you have staff, your vision now has to be not selfish anymore. Um, so you can't be saying, I, me, my all the time. I want to do this, my company. It has to be more inclusive. So it has to be we. And if you get people involved in your vision, and it's not just about you, it's about the whole entity, um, this whole new body, then you're going to get more motivated stuff. I think that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is leadership is, is, is kind of like, um, this is the direction we're going. Everyone come with me and inspiring people to come with you. But management is here's where the um, staff handbook is. Here's our, you know, policy. Here, <laughs> here are our um, benefits packages. Here's our pension, um, you, you know, process. Here's a grievance process, etc. And when you're an entrepreneur, you don't want to deal with all of that. And it's not your strength. And you don't really even know about it. But you've got to do it. So that's the second thing is the difference between leadership and management. And Mark and I, my business partner, we're honest enough to say we're terrible managers. Um, you, you know, we're both in our own ways, not bad leaders, but we're terrible managers because it takes a lot of consistency. Managers right. have to do the same thing over and over and over and over. They have to have the monthly reviews, with, you know, with their staff. They have to do the same thing month in, month out, month in, month out. Whereas entrepreneurs often like the variety and they want to do something different month to month. So that was definitely a big thing. Then as you get even bigger, um, you know, I never really wanted to be corporate. And to me, corporate is a dirty word. And, and it's kind of not really fair because I've never worked in a corporate. So my perception of corporates is only it's a, a fantasy because I've never worked in a corporate. Um, mm -hmm. But I think a lot of corporate companies are entrepreneurial now and the word corporate has changed in its meaning, but what ne we never wanted to be was a big, lazy, soulless machine, um, you know, where you didn't make an impact, where you weren't treated like someone who was smart, where you didn't have input into the direction of the business, where you were in cubicles, um, et cetera. And we never wanted that culture. So we wanted to be very flat with our organizational chart, not too many layers of management, you know. The, the almost a beanbag culture where it was relaxed, where everyone kind of hot desked and could have, have a laptop and there was a pool table and it was all funky and cool. Um, how did that work out? Um, well, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> how did that work out? I don't even need to answer that. Um, so as you get bigger, you do need a corporate structure. You do need a hierarchy. You do need managers and managers who manage managers. That's the reality. So the answer to your question specifically, Heather, depends on size. But what we found is when, once we put one layer of management in, that really changed the culture. Because we probably had seven or eight people playing pool in the pool table, but work, but, you know, in the office, which doubled up as our meeting table, but also worked till nine o'clock at night um, and right. came in early. And we had a really great culture when we had about eight people. And it was family orientated and it was disruptive and it was... Um, quite organic. 
bit chaotic, if I'm honest, but we loved it. And there was a buzz and a thrive and, the, you know, there was no policy and process and everyone liked that. Um, but then when there gets too many for you to manage, things start to break. And then people are like, oh, well, what about a salary review? Oh, we don't do those. And, oh, well, what happens if, I, what, if I'm sick? Do I get sick pay? Oh, well, we don't do that. Um, because you didn't have any of those processes in place, you know, when you're just a little entrepreneurial venture. So we brought a manager in, someone who was a really high up um, in a corporate company, but we knew we wanted that. Um, and, they, and they came in between us and them. And all of a sudden we had our open door policy became a go to Catherine, the MD, go to Catherine, the MD, don't <laughs> talk to me, go to Catherine, the MD. And it was a real change in culture and people felt they were getting stonewalled and people felt like we were just trying to manoeuvre towards getting rid of them. And I mean, our MD did a great job. She's still with us to this day. But um, all bar um, maybe one or two of those staff did end up leaving. And so that culture change from, you know, open door policy where we're one of the lads or we're one of the staff. I used to go to the gym with some of them. Mark used to go out in the evenings with some of them. That all had to change and we had to become more official and more processed. And now you have a staff contract and you have a job description and you have a staff handbook. And here's the... Um, here's the health and safety policy and here's the first aid kit and here are your benefits package. And, you know, when you start, maybe they're not as good as they are when you right. grow. Um, right. And I personally enjoyed that jump because I felt like we were becoming a real company. But a lot of people don't like that because they're entrepreneurs and they don't like what they perceive to be a, a more cold feel. So, yeah, there's some things to start us off, Heather. So it sounds like when you had that magical number of about eight people, uh, your company had a lot of levity going on there, at least from listening to what you're saying. And there was a shift that occurred as it got larger. Uh, but, you know, in listening to you, I can't imagine that your current company has any less levity than it did before. And I'm wondering, how did you help it make that shift as you scaled and got a little bit larger? Well, I think the key thing is having a core set of values, company values. And it sounds a bit corporate and cliched, but we do live those and they're progressive, innovative, personal. So you can be a big company and still have a personal value because you can have a flatter organizational chart. You can, um, we, um, we sing happy birthdays to the staff. We do anniversary presents and gifts. Um, we have a lot of uh, meetings and togetherness. We have a social team. Um, we have benefits package where you get to choose. There's about nine benefits and you can choose, say, four or five. You can buy holiday, sell holiday. Um, people can always come to Mark and I, especially me, because that's more my side of the business. At any level, people can challenge me in the office publicly. Someone who's just started can give me an idea or challenge one of my ideas and I'll embrace that. So you can still be a personal company, even when you're big, if that's one of your brand values. So and I got the team involved in this for probably a few months, Heather. We had office meetings every one to two weeks and we discussed, well, what, what words mean something to us? Resourceful, innovative, disruptive, progressive, personal, ambitious, loyal. And we chucked all these words out and we kept refining them each week or two and thinning them down and removing duplication until we actually agreed as a team. And of course, I had to lead that. So I had to make some executive decisions, but mostly as the whole staff. And back then, there would have only been 15, 20 of us. We agreed on the progressive, innovative, personal for the core values. And then the internal staff values, ambitious, loyal team, resourceful, etc. 
And then we try our absolute best to live by those values. Um, and hiring really great people is obviously a, a bit of a cliche. You know, you hire great people. We all know that. Um, but I think we had a policy shift in the early days. We'd pay minimum that we could because we wanted to be lean and we didn't want big overhead and we were worried about cost. Um, but we don't have that same mentality now and we want great people. And we're not London. We're a bit outside. So finding mm. great people is a little bit harder. Um, but hey, look, um, if we're a great place to work, people will come from London. Um, so making sure right. that we have great people. And, and I think looking after your people, uh, I think that um, like this could sound a bit like, like lip service, but I'm going to say it anyway because I really believe it. And then my, my team could tell you if I do live this. But when you're an entrepreneur and you hire people, in your mind, you think that people work for you, but no one works for you ever. People work for themselves and you're paying them. So they want their mortgage paid. They want to go to the gym. They want to have three or four holidays a year. They want to spend time with their kids and put them through school and whatever else that they want. So they're working for themselves. You just happen to be paying them. So if any entrepreneur has the delusion that people work for you, then the sooner you get rid of that, the sooner you build a good culture, I believe. And I believe that I work for my stuff. And with Thomas Cook, it's a big company in England. They've just gone bust. They, um, I mean, in, the, in Peterborough, I think they um, employ 9,000 people across all their brand, all their um, like offices and shops. One of their offices employs 1,000 people in, in this city. So it's a big employer. Um, and, you know, that shows to me that actually those people are out of work and there's a load of redundancies and a load of lost money. Um, and, and that proves to me, actually, that Thomas Cook was working for those people, not the other way around, because those people are now out of a job. So mm. when you have the mindset shift that you work for your team rather than they work for you, you don't have ego, you don't have power play, you don't have hierarchy. I mean, there's a natural hierarchy, of course. You have to lead and make hard decisions and you get the final call and you take the responsibility and you take the risk. But I don't, you know, I sit in and around the office. I don't have a, a, an ivory tower or a big glass box. Knocked that down years ago. I'd hot desk quite a lot and sit in different places. I talk to everyone I can in the office. Maybe not so much the finance team. I need to work on that. Um, <laughs> but that's just because it's not air in my business, but I should work on that. You know, the management by walking around, I do really believe in listening and talking to your team. All the best, all the best ideas for improvements in my business come from my team. The salespeople are talking to the guys on the phone, so they have the feedback for the customer service. And the marketing team are doing the marketing. I'm not. So I work for my team. They don't work for me. Uh, and I think that really helps with creating a good culture. Yeah, and connecting with your people, asking questions, finding out what what they're doing even outside of office hours, uh, what they're struggling with yes. at home, what's going on. It's so important. It helps you gather intel about what motivates them, uh, what engages them. And one thing that always strikes me as odd, it's always interesting to me when this happens, is when I come across an executive who is afraid to not only get out there and talk to their teams, but also to survey. Like, not, <laughs> I won't have a conversation and I, I definitely am afraid to even send out some, 
you know, survey online that is anonymous because I'm afraid of getting feedback. I know that the feedback's going to be negative and I don't know what I'm going to do with that. So if, if there's negative feedback, I want to know it. Like if you're ill, you, you want to know what the diagnosis is, surely. You don't want to just pretend you're not ill if you know you're ill. And I see that with my team. I'm not delusional enough to, to think we're perfect. We're not perfect. So there's always going to be areas where we as a company and me as an individual are failing. I want to know fast so then I can fix it. So for me, that's vital. We do start, stop, keep surveys once a quarter. I can't remember if it was um, scaling up by Vern Harnish. I borrowed that little survey um, set of three questions from, but it's really good. What should we start, i.e. what are we not doing? What should we keep, i.e. what are we doing well that we should do more of? And um, what should we stop, i.e. what are we doing badly? Um, it's, right. good, it's a really good little system because it draws out truth um, because sometimes some art, art questions in surveys don't draw out truth. Um, so we do both anonymous and um, open forums for surveys. Um, there's, there's a big thing in America that's come over to the UK, which is crowdsourcing. But, you know, there's crowdsourcing of funds, crowdsourcing of ideas. Now, um, people have this perception of me that know me or follow me that I have a lot of ideas. and I'm really good with ideas. It's actually a myth. I don't have that many really unique eureka shower, bath, middle of the night moments where I have these great ideas. What I do is talk to people a lot, listen to people a lot, watch people a lot, hang out in communities a lot. Uh, you know, I find out the gossip and not just the gossip gossip, but, you know, the business gossip and find out what's going on with the team and the staff and in their lives and what are the discussions and what are their issues and problems. And all of those formulate an idea in my head via crowdsourcing. And mm. the great thing about that is they're better ideas, but also there's less pressure on you, the entrepreneur, because sometimes as the founder of the business, I'm like, oh, man, everyone's looking at me for the million pound idea or the 10 million pound idea. There's a lot of pressure on me to go and solve all the problems for the business. You know, that's quite a lot of pressure, especially the bigger you get. But actually, all the answers I need are in my team. So all, all you nearly need is a little bit of humility, get rid of ego, bring all your staff on a level rather than you thinking you're above them, treat them all like you'd want to be treated. And I want my team to come into work and enjoy being there. And I'm a bit soft, so I probably maybe don't keep them hardcore <laughs> accountable like some people would. Like if people make mistakes, I'm quite forgiving. But I believe if someone comes into the office and they enjoy being there, they're going to be productive. I believe if they don't enjoy being there, they're not. And I believe enjoying being in the workplace creates a great culture. So these things right. kind of all come back to each other. Now, one thing you, you said, Heather, which I thought was really insightful, which we need to talk about is you said about, you know, talking to them, getting to know them, maybe finding out a bit about their personal life. Well, of course, there's a line and I don't go to the gym with my staff anymore. Um, but so, so there's got to be a professional <laughs> line. Otherwise, managing them is hard. But I can tell you this. Probably maybe a third to one half of the time. If a staff member is underperforming, sick and absent a lot, um, it's because there's something wrong in their personal life. So right. something going wrong with their, their marriage, maybe, or they've got an issue with one of their kids, or um, they've got a big house extension or a problem with their mortgage or, you know, an illness in family. And like you want to know what's wrong with your staff so you can help them become more productive. And if you assume it's performance when actually it's illness at home or something in their personal life, then in a way they're getting penalised for that and you, you're not understanding why they're not productive. 
So exactly. when, you, when you care to find out what's going on in their life, one, you get them more productive quick, which is good for your business. And two, you build loyalty. So I have a rule. If anyone is ever really ill or a family member is really ill or they've got any shit going on in their life, am I allowed to use any swear words in your podcast, Heather? Sure. I will okay. just add the little E okay, to the fine. end of it. You can use as, but, uh, drop as many bombs as you want. Okay. That is fine. Uh, well, what I was going to say was, I, I won't get the heck out of the office and go and fix your stuff at home. The office will always be here. Your job will be out here. Go fix your stuff at home. We're here to support you. Come back when you're ready. So, uh, and, and like, I don't care how busy our business is and how many sales we need to make or whatever. If someone's got th- their child really and they've gone to hospital, they've just found out their mum or dad's got cancer or their husband or wife has just left them, get the fuck out of the office and come back when you're ready. We'll still be here. Right. You've got to humanise it. Yeah. And so I think that builds loyalty because... That's like you said, that's human. And that's what you don't want to lose in your culture. And I think when people talk about corporate, I think that's what you lose. You lose the human element. Um, Like I don't really care if someone comes in a bit late. I don't really care if they have a longer lunch. I just care if they're a good person in the business and they're getting their job done. That's really... Interesting. So what I'm hearing and managers, I hope you're listening to this as well. Uh, you need to listen to podcasts. You need to read the blogs, read the articles, get in there because you don't have to be the sole source of information. You need to connect with your community, which is full circle back to what we talked about in the beginning about what makes for disruptive entrepreneurship. And um, I have a question for you, Rob, mm. about about Levity. I want to bring it back. Uh, if Levity could change one thing in the world, what would it be? Can I make a confession? This is like embarrassing, but probably quite funny. I don't actually, Ooh, nice. I don't actually know what the word levity means. Wonderful. <laughs> so when I talk about levity and I, I talk about, oh, I research levity, people initially think beanbag chairs, they think fun at work, they think games, and there may be some elements of that. But uh, in my research, there are three components of levity, one being amusement which is, yes, that fun, games, joking, we have a good time here. Uh, There's buoyancy, so the atmosphere is light. I know that when I come to work, uh, I'm going to be in a positive atmosphere where it's supportive. I I know that people aren't going to be yelling at me. People are, are, I have a friend here, all of that. And then we have edification. So edification is a very old term, uh, but but it goes back to this is a constructive environment as well. So I'm not just coming in here uh, joking, hanging around, uh, you know, collecting a paycheck, but I'm also getting good feedback. I'm growing and developing here. So okay. levity is something that uh, encompasses all of that. And it it actually links to things like job satisfaction Team cohesion, so teams that have levity are more likely to perform well together and be more creative and come up with creative, innovative ideas um, and some other other really cool um, outcomes. And if you're interested, Rob's folks, feel free to check out my website uh, at www.leadwithlevity.com. 
Now, if I hadn't have asked that and put my ego away and not admit that I didn't know what the word meant, you wouldn't have said all that. And therefore, you wouldn't have had that big explanation of levity other than the simple meaning. So I feel really good that I asked you that. So, well, I'm glad that you feel really good. <laughs> so, so there's levity on this podcast, isn't there, Heather? <laughs> that's right. That's right. So could you re-ask me that question again that you asked me because I, I, I could answer it better now? Awesome. If levity could change one thing in the world, what would it be? Okay, this is, uh, this is huge, I think. And I'm going to focus on entrepreneurship because that's my yes. kind of niche, Heather. I think that uh, people, when they start their businesses and they sell and they create their product and they do their content marketing and, you know, they, they're a manager and whatever, I think often we take ourselves way too seriously. And I think you should take your work very seriously, but you should not take yourself too seriously. So love your art, love your mission. Do the best you can, but be a light individual, i.e. joke at yourself. Um, don't react to people who maybe are a bit pushy or defensive to you. Manage your emotions well. Try and have fun. Like most meetings I'm in, I try and uh, get people laughing. Now, I try not to waste time because, you know, I'm not a joker. That's not, you know, my profession. But I try and have what we call in, in, in the UK banter where possible and try and make it fun. So take your art seriously, but don't take yourself too seriously. And I think you'll be a better public speaker. I think you'll be a better husband or wife. Um, I think you'll be um, a better influencer, a better manager, a better leader, a better entrepreneur, a better mother, a better father. But actually it goes across all areas of life. Uh, and it's ego and it's worrying about what people think about us and fear of failure and fear of looking stupid and fear of being ridiculed um, and the, all these protection emotions that rob us of our levity. And um, getting rid of that, i.e. being more humble, knowing that we're all on a level, we're not above anyone or below anyone, knowing that we're all students and we can learn from everyone, but knowing also that we have our own place and we're unique and we have value too. And knowing that people are going through all their own baggage, too, and we're all struggling and we're all a human being and we're all in the same, we're the same species on the same planet. So in, we're very interdependent and interconnected. So really, we're all on the same mission, if you think about it, all seven billion of us. And I think when you think like that, you just take yourself a bit less seriously and then life is more fun and then you're more charismatic and then more, you're more of a leader um, and then people jump on for the ride. Um, and they stay with you for a long time and you create loyalty. You know, one thing I, I one of your recent podcast episodes was on, uh, I believe, uh, how to address some challenges, life challenges. And you mentioned the wisdom is in the paradox. I don't mm -hmm. know if I'm quoting that uh, word for word, but I love that concept. And I feel like levity sort of falls into that that realm. So if you can find the paradox between two things, uh, there's some wisdom there and there are life lessons there and you can disrupt there and work. Yes. Work is work. Work should be <laughs> serious. We should be serious about our work, but do we have to die while we do it? I don't think so. So uh, Rob, I, I thank you so much for your time 
and uh, appreciate you coming on to the show, sharing this time with me, as well as with your fans. Um, hi, fans on live. I really do appreciate you as well. <laughs> Thank you, Heather. Um, can you shout out the name of your podcast again for my people who are watching and listening? Lead with Levity. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and pretty much anything, <laughs> anything at this <laughs> point. Uh, and if you if you're not able to find it, just send me a message. I'm sure that we'll have some uh, some links in the notes, and I'll make sure that I get that added to whatever it is that you use to listen to podcasts. Thank you. And I'm, am I allowed to do a little shout out for my podcast on your show? Of course. You did say I was cheeky before we went live, so I have to live up to that. <laughs> you are very cheeky. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So my podcast is called The Disruptive Entrepreneur. And like um, Heather, it's on all um, major um, hosting platforms. Um, and you can find my books on Amazon and Audible. I've written quite a few. Just my name, Rob Moore, M-O-O-R-E. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Heather. Take care. Take care. Bye.